Welcome to the Vision Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and everything happening at Vision, visit us online at visionnwa.com. Lord to God, and you can be seated this morning. It's so good to see everybody. It's so good to see new faces, people I haven't seen before. That's awesome. Welcome to Vision Church. Hey, if you have your Bibles, turn in your Bibles to Galatians, Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. Bob Jones was asked recently if he had advice for young ministers, what he would say. And this is what he said. He said, stop being in such a hurry to get to the inner place of anointing and take time to die in the outer court. Should I say that again? Stop being in such a hurry to get to the inner place of anointing and take time to die in the outer court. We, as Christians, we have to learn to die. Die to self, die to flesh, die to desires, things that we want. And we have to come to a place where we make Jesus the center of our life. Amen? So what needs to die in the outer court? Our flesh. So there's, there, there were back in the old days when they brought sacrifices before the priest could enter into the Holy of Holies, he came and he offered sacrifices. So all these sacrifices took place before he was ever even able to come in to the presence of God. It's important for us as Christians to align our life in order to be able to see heaven on earth in our life. We have to align our life with God's plans, his purposes. You know, I don't know about you, but I was the kind of guy I tried to get God to fund my dreams, my visions, my plans. How many of you have ever tried to do that? Just me, it looks like. So, I mean, I mean, I tried. You know, I'd ha- I had this amazing idea, and I said, man, this is it. I'm going for it, and I'd start walking toward this idea, and then the funding wasn't there. I'd be like, God, what's going on? But I, I got to tell you guys, as soon as I aligned my life, literally, I, we were doing so much. We had a lot of ministry going on in Louisville, Kentucky. We were doing outreaches, giving away food, clothes, furniture, household items, you know, uh, to people all across Louisville, Kentucky. We we're getting people saved. And then we had, a, we had a music studio, and so I was writing songs. We were recording music. And then I had a TV, a television studio. So, you know, we had, I mean, we had the, the jibs and, and the lifts and all the, all the gear, all the equipment. And I just was looking around, and I was going, God, we have all of this stuff. Why is it that I don't feel like I'm doing what it is you want me to do? And I, I finally came to a place. It was one morning real early. Because I don't know about you guys, but God speaks to me real early. Like 3 in the morning. Okay? No, serious. I mean, does anybody else? Is it just me? Surely. Okay. Yeah, I didn't think it was just me. I mean, God loves talking to you then because you're not, you're not, you know, you're not sidetracked with anything else. And so... So he's speaking to my heart, and I, I remember this one morning, I woke up, this was five in the morning, though, this wasn't a three in the morning experience, but those are a lot, that happens a lot. Five in the morning, and, and I just finally, I, I, I was in a workout room that I'd believed God for, and had all this, you know, workout stuff that I'd believed God for. I mean, you know how it is when you get married, it takes 20 years sometimes to amass all of this great wealth, right? <laughs> All of the stuff that we want. And so we had, you know, so I'm standing there in this exercise room and I just finally, I was, I was so dissatisfied in my spirit, not personally, but I was so dissatisfied that I just finally threw up my arms. I said, God, you're not seeing my midriff, right? Okay. I was saying, God, Lord, please 
I surrender right now. Any plans that I have, anything that I got going on, anything, anything that, I, that I think my dream is to do, I surrender it right now at your feet. And I'm asking you, God, to show me what you want me to do. That day, that moment changed my life. Because you know what happened? A week later, Terry and Brenda called us. Three months later, we were traveling on the road with the 99 full-time. And the Lord said, give everything away. And I got choked up. I'm thinking the music studio, the television studio. I mean, all the gear, all the vehicles that we, that we have for our ministry. Lord, you mean everything. He said, yeah, not just your ministry stuff, personally. And we, and we did. He said, he said, are you willing to do that? Well, I don't know about you. I remember a story in the Bible when a rich young ruler came to Jesus. And he said, he said Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready to follow you. You know? And what did, what did Jesus say he needed to do? Go and sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor and come and follow me. And he went away sad. Why? Because sometimes our stuff, if you let it, it can own you. <clears throat> it can own you. Your car can own you instead of you owning your car. You ever have one of those cars? You drive it off the showroom floor. It's beauty, beautiful candy, apple red. Man, the wheels shine amazingly. And it's like, you know, you just stare at it constantly. I had one of those vehicles. And it was like that until somebody dented my door on the side. And then after that, it was like, Psh, I don't care anymore. I mean, it's, you know what I mean? But anyway, I'm sorry. That was a, that was a side trip. But here's, here's my point, is that when we align our life with what God wants us to do. When I did that, all of a sudden, finances started pouring in. All of a sudden, we were blessed with a 38. I thought, how are we going to travel? All we have is a trailer and a Tahoe. How do you travel? I mean, and I was told this, there's no salary. Choke on that one. No salary. Phil, how about if I came to you and said, and, and said, Hannah, I want you to come into full-time ministry. And I explain all your job description to you. And then I say, oh, by the way, there's no salary. Would you be really excited about that or what? Yeah. Thank you for your honesty, Hannah. Somebody, other people would have said yes. And no, I'm sorry. Anyway, so, so <laughs> but it's true. You know, because so, so many people want to guarantee, so, you know, in our life. But something has got to die. What is it that has to die? My will has to die so that I can pick up God's will. And let me tell you, when we did, we traveled for three years. And in three months, we had all the funding that we needed. We were on the road. God had blessed us with a 38-foot RV to travel in, to live in. We were, we, were, we were doing city after city. We were seeing thousands of people come through and receive Jesus. They were experiencing the gospel uh, right there with the 99, traveling across the country. And then... God brought me to Northwest Arkansas. And here I am. Because I used to make fun of North, I used to make fun of Arkansas. I'm sorry. It was the end of all my jokes, okay? Now Alabama is, but or Oklahoma or something. I, but I can't use Arkansas anymore. So let me let me keep, let me keep going. Have, have you found Galatians chapter two yet? Okay. So let me say this. Let me say one more thing before we read Galatians chapter two. Um some people think, and, and it's true, you, you can come to God the way you are. How many of you know that? Doesn't, that? doesn't matter what condition you're in. You can come the way you are, 
But let me tell you this, because there's, there, there's almost a misconception that you can stay the way you are and be a Christian. And it's not true. Because the cross changes you. It truly does. And this is what we're getting ready to read in Galatians chapter 2. Did you find it? I'm going to read it to you out of the Passion Translation. You ready? My old identity, verse 20, sorry, Galatians 2.20. My old identity has been co-crucified with Messiah, with Jesus, in other words, and no longer lives. For the nails of his cross crucified me with him. And now the essence of this new life is no longer mine. For the anointed one lives his life through me. Thank you, God. He li- we live in union as one. So our, our lives are in unity. And so that's why it's important that I had to align my life so I could have my life in unity with Jesus. You see that? Okay, so then he goes on to say, My new life is empowered by the faith of the Son of God who loves, who loves me so much that he gave himself for me and dispenses his life into mine. His spirit is dispensed into me so that I can dispense his spirit everywhere I go. No matter where I am, no matter who I talk to. You know, we, we get so many opportunities to pray with, man, I love going to restaurants because you can pray with your waiter and your waitress. They're right there. You, ha- you just have a captive audience. And we've been praying for guys. We've been blessing them with finances. And when you do that, tip them real good, would you? Okay. Let me, can I say this? Because I saw Becca holding that each one, reach one, or a little invitation. Man, don't lay an invitation on the, on the table if you're not going to give a great tip. Okay, please. I'm just, okay. I just wanted to say that. All right. Yeah. Okay. You're welcome. No extra charge for that, except in the tip. There is extra charge in the tip. So, so we live in union with Christ. Our life is aligned with Jesus. Now, look at Matthew chapter 10. I'm just establishing a couple of things, and then I'm getting to what I want to talk about. Matthew chapter 10. Look at verse 39. All who seek to live apart from me will lose it all. Man. You know, I think about people who've gone home to be with the Lord and they amassed all of this stuff and now it's left. Couldn't take it with them. And then Jesus goes on to say, he said, but those who let go of their lives for my sake and surrender it all to me will discover true life or true living. True life, true living. The kingdom of God, see, is backwards. It's backwards to the natural kingdom that we're living in. Why? Because in order to receive, you have to give, right? In order to live, we have to give up our lives. In order to experience life, we have to give it up. And that was all Nicole and I did. Man, we gave away furniture. We gave away, you know, all, the, all, the, all, of, the, all of the ministry. That, I believe that that is one of the reasons that God has blessed this church so much with equipment. Because we gave all of our equipment away. I mean, look at it. We've got, I mean, God is blessed this church because of it. But let me tell you this. When Nicole and I moved here, we had no furniture. Why? We gave it all away. But you know what? We got a call from a person and he said, hey, I want you to come over to my store. I own a furniture store and I want you to walk through and pick whatever you guys want. I just went, Lord, man, you're so good. Let me tell you, that's that, now, now the guy that owns the furniture store, he's not the resource, Okay. God is. Okay? God is the source. Men are the, what did I say, resource? Oh, he's not the source. Sorry, he's the resource, though, that God used. Right? Amen? 
Okay. All right, now turn over to James. James chapter 1, verse 2. Because this morning I want to talk to you about profiting from trials. Profiting from trials. How many of you right now, you're going through a trial, test, tribulation? You got something going on. Come on, be honest. All right, well, there is profit that God wants you to have in this. James chapter 1. Look at verse 2. I'm going to read it to you out of the New King James. James chapter 1. And beginning in verse 2, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, tests, temptations. Count it all joy. Now, how many of you, when a trial, temptation, test came, you went, yeah, come on. I am so excited. I'm walking through a trial right now. It's amazing. I can't believe God chose me to go through a trial. It's it's wonderful. Verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith or the trial of your faith, the temptation of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect worth that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So when were you made perfect and complete? When are you? It's when you let patience have its perfect work. Yeah, I got some big amens, didn't it? So, so when we let patience have its perfect work, then the tests, the trials, the temptations, what they do is they produce, uh, they cause our faith to grow. Because you're being patient. Now, when my mom, when she had her massive heart attack, I shared some of this last week, but she experienced a massive heart attack on January 8th, 2011. And she was in the hospital and we walked through a lot of trials in just a very short amount of time. And I hadn't seen my family for about 16 hours. And I remember we were, you know, it just seemed like, you know, one doctor would come and tell you this, another doctor would come and tell you this, another bad situation, we're losing blood pressure, we can't seem to keep our blood pressure up. You know, all these things begin to happen. And in the process of that, you know, there's an opportunity for you to get into panic, much like what's going on with the coronavirus right now. I, I believe one of, the, one of the biggest reasons that it's beginning to spread is the fear is drawing it to them. Job said this. He said, what I feared the most has come to me. I've drawn it to me because of what I feared the most. What I dreaded more, you know, more than anything has happened to me. And so, you know, you can't allow fear in that situation. But we had to be patient in mom's situation because it wasn't 16 hours, just 16 hours. It wasn't just two days. It wasn't just three days. It was four days, five days, six days, seven days. It was 16 days before she came home. And so we're practicing patience every day. Well, let me tell you, patience A key factor to patience for me was uh, not allowing myself to think on certain things. Because oftentimes, you know, this is why I think for a lot of people, sometimes the answer is you need to go and get a job or get a hobby and get something that you can put your mind on. Go read a book, something that you can hone in on and set your mind on, you know, uh, so that you're not thinking on these things. And, and we were at the hospital all day, so it wasn't like, you know, I had stuff that I could just sit down and read, you know. But, but we began to pray, and we began to seek God. He taught me so much about patience through that whole process. 
And because of it, man, God did an amazing work in mom's life. So we inherit the promises through what? Through faith and patience are two sides of the same coin. So let me make a statement. When we remain steadfast or patient in our faith, it pulls God's will that's done in heaven and it brings brings it to earth in our situation. So if the enemy can stop you, he will. He's going to stop your faith. That's what he's after. Let me tell you, your faith scares the enemy more than anything. Why? Because when you choose to believe what God said instead of what the devil said, it's over. You win. You win as long as, you, as long as you're going to be steadfast and patient in that process. Amen? So the only way that he can stop your faith is if you let go of it during tests, trials, and temptations. Look at this. Jump down to verse 12 in, in James chapter 1. In the NIV, it says this, blessed is the one who perseveres or has patience under trials, temptations, tests, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So the definition is you'll win if you don't quit. If you don't give up, you don't quit. And, and that was what happened to us when, in the mom, in, when mom was in the hospital is we were determined we were going to see this thing through. And we weren't believing for just a little recovery. We were believing for whole, W-H-O-L-E, recovery for mom. Everything readjoined. You know, people have massive heart attacks. You see, they lose, they get paralysis in different parts of their body. You know, I mean, it can be devastating, you know. And so I thought, Psh, let's believe God. Let's believe God. Amen? So with that, what I want to do is I want to, I want to talk to you a little bit about a guy that experienced a lot of trials. Now, when I think of somebody that experienced a lot of trials in the Bible, one of the first people that comes to my mind is Joseph. I felt like if anybody went through trials, tribulations, and temptations, it was Joseph. Man, his brothers sold him into slavery, right? They were jealous of him. You know, sometimes you share your dreams with the wrong people, you know. And he shared his dream with the wrong guys, you know. And they were envious of him, jealous of him. And so they sold him to the Midianites as a slave. And then what happened? Then he got sold into Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife begins to come on to him. And she begins to ask him every day if he'll sleep with her. This wasn't just a one-time occurrence. This is over and over because he's a good-looking guy. And he literally runs from her. He loses his second coat because she's holding on to it. You know, I thought that's the second coat he's lost, you know. And he runs out. And then he's what? He's thrown into prison. Man, now, I don't know about you, but I, I haven't been thrown into prison. I haven't been sold as a slave. I'm sure my sisters would have sold me if they could have, but they didn't. My mom stopped them from selling, being able to traffic me, you know. And, but, no, my, I'm sorry. If you guys are listening, I love you. Um, so, yeah, I, don't, I don't think they would have. But, you know, and, but, you know, I haven't been thrown in prison for a lifetime sentence with, with no parole. Have you? All right. Well, here's what I discovered. I want, I want to go through this because there are 10 things that Joseph did during his trials. So let's go through those. Amen. So number one, this was a really important one. He kept his mouth shut. Man, this is a big one. My, uh, you know, when mom was in the hospital and we were going through those first initial hours, dad and I, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a, 
uh, I'm not the kind of guy that talks without stopping anyway, but I think one of the best things that my dad and I did was that we didn't say a word the whole time. And, you know, because you've got all kinds of things going through your mind. You've got all kinds of things going through your heart, things that are, that are bugging you about the situation that you're in. You don't need to add to it by speaking something out of your mouth. Well, Phil, why do you say that? Because believe it or not, your mouth can become your greatest enemy. Believe it or not, James chapter 3 compares your tongue to a rudder on a ship. And the rudder on the ship is what steers the ship in the direction it's going to go. Your tongue is the same way for your life. That's what God is saying in James. Is He's saying, look, your tongue is important. What you say will direct your life. Your declaration becomes your destination. So what are you declaring over your life? What are you declaring over your trial, over your situation? People say, oh, Phil, I don't believe that. Okay, well, consider this, Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And guess who holds the power of the tongue? It's in our mouths. We can make it do what we want it to do. So, and think of it this way, you release your faith by speaking. I think one of the reasons that we didn't say much during that time was we didn't want wrong things to come out of our mouths. We wanted to only speak what God's word said over mom's situation. So in like manner, you create the world that you live in by the words that you're letting come out of your mouth. Number two, he served his masters with all of his heart. What does Colossians 3, 23 and 24 say? And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord. So you're not serving man, you're serving God. He sees everything and he'll reward you openly. He sees what you're doing in secret. You say, Phil, I, man, I, I, I just feel like I'm just not getting anywhere. I feel like I'm spinning my wheels. No, you're in process, man. And God sees what you're doing in secret. He sees that routine of waking up every, every morning early and praying in the Holy Spirit, reading your Bible, and, and asking God to do big things in your life and to use you in a mighty way. God sees that. And let me tell you, the things, it's, it's, only, it's only now that God has begun to reward Nicole and I for the things that we've spent years in secret doing. And man, we're so thankful. And, and, and we continue to do those things. You don't stop doing those things, by the way, when he blesses you. Amen. So everywhere Joseph went, think about this. Think about this. He was put in charge of everything everywhere he went. Man. Think about that. He went to Potiphar's house. Potiphar put him in charge of everything he had. He, when he was at home, his dad had him in charge of his brothers. <laughs> he, he goes on to prison, and what does the warden do? He says, Joseph, I'm going to put you in charge of the prison. Because that's the kind of effort he put into his job. He had a great attitude. Phil, how do, I know, how do you know he had a great attitude? Because people don't promote people that have bad attitudes. Take it from me. I've had a bad attitude. Yeah. And it didn't do very much for me. It was terrible. Because your attitude determines your altitude, doesn't it? So the result was he was promoted everywhere he went. Number three, he didn't blame his brothers for his situation, his circumstance, where he is today. He's in jail. He's a slave. He's got no future in the natural. I mean, this is a dead end. He, he, he could have easily blamed his brothers. Really, and even be justified. Why? Because his brothers put him there. 
They're the ones that sold him into slavery. But he didn't do that. What did he do? He kept his mouth closed. He didn't go and yeah, yeah to other people about how I was unfairly treated. That person didn't treat me fair. Let, let me tell you, if, if, if somebody else was speaking besides me and they said, how many of you have talked bad about people you know, or, you know, or, or, or you, you've done this? I'd be like this. It's me. Okay, so I mean, I'm not, I'm not preaching to you thinking I'm, I'm, I'm clear of this, okay? I mean, but we've got we've to talk differently about people. I mean, how does love talk? Because sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it hurts. And we've all been hurt. I'm, you know, I've been hurt many times. And I remember um, one of the key things that I had to do in, in, a, in a particular situation where somebody really hurt me was that I, I wouldn't allow myself to talk negatively about that person to anybody else, even my family. Even they knew people who knew the situation. All right? So, so Joseph didn't sit around. He didn't waste time thinking about how he got to where he was. He focused on the opportunity that he had instead of the opposition of his past. Man, isn't it amazing that Joseph was able to see opportunity in slavery? I don't know about you. I wouldn't hand my entire household, the running of my entire estate over to somebody that was incompetent, that didn't like me, that, that yeah, yeah, about other people. Would you? No. Why? Because you want to give it to people that have a great attitude. Man, they're all in. They're, they're, they treat your stuff like they own your stuff, like it belongs to them. They take great care in it. This is so important. So I, I, so I found when I was reading this, I had to ask myself some questions. Do I dwell on how others have hurt me? And do I blame others for my current condition? These are good questions to ask because if you do, this is the morning. In fact, let's do it right now. Just close your eyes. Repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I release people who have hurt me. I choose to walk free from offense, from bitterness, and from unforgiveness. In Jesus' name. Amen. Man, yeah. I'm going to ask the band to come. Uh, number four, he refused to take offense. This leads directly into this one. He refused to take offense. He released his brothers. He didn't take offense that his brothers had put him where he was or anybody else. He didn't allow himself to dwell on what they had done to him because he knew offense produces bitterness. Bitterness has a root. It goes way past, you know, it goes past offense. They work hand in hand, but it goes deep, you know. And, and some people, you know, I'm, I remember one girl told me that um, she just said, I, I don't think I'll ever be able to forgive that guy. And I, I just looked at her and I just, I just said, you know, you have to. She says, I can't. I said, no, you can by faith. You have to do it by faith. You can't do it by feelings because you're going to feel, you may, you may be mad at that person. You may hate that person, but you have to do it in faith, amen, and so that you can walk free. <clears throat> Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart, for out of it flow the issues of life. Some people, their issues come because they're easily offended. That's where the issues come from. 
Number five, he refused to compromise. Now, I'm not just talking about adultery, you know, because that was obvious. He left his coat, man, he ran. Smart man. He got out of there. But I'm talking about all the opportunities that he had to talk about how sad his life was. Because these are temptations. This is a part of trials. You walk out of somebody talk mean to you in the office. Somebody, you know, somebody fired you on your job. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not time to call your friends and yeah, yeah. It's time to say first, God, I didn't see this coming, but you did. And you know what the plan was, is. You know what you have planned for my life and I receive your plan. Man, I remember when uh, Zach and Becca were little guys, but they were old enough to stay home alone. And so Nicole took a part-time job just working like from eight until noon. And so she would go and work. And then, so Zach and Becca were home alone during those hours, you know, a few days a week. And so they were supposed to be working on school. How many of you? No, I'm not going to show you. <laughs> I wouldn't be working on school probably all that much during those hours. But anyway, it's got to be honest. But so they were, so they would get into trouble, you know, and they, and get, I, one time they got frustrated with each other. And I remember Becca was running to the phone to call mom. And Zach yelled down the hall at her. He said, don't run to the phone, run to the throne. <laughs> Time to pray, right? Time to pray. <laughs> Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, I believe that one reason why the church of God has, has this present moment has little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. Wow. See, deconstruction comes one tiny compromise at a time. When we choose to live a life of compromise, it catches up with us. Number six, he held on to his joy. Well, Phil, how do you know that Joseph was happy? I don't see how you could know that. Well, think about this. He walks in, you know, so he's put in charge of the prison, right? So he walks in one day and he sees the cupbearer and the baker who've been thrown into prison. And he says, how come you guys are so sad today? I don't, a sad person wouldn't ask that question. He wouldn't. He would jump right in there with him. Yeah, man, I feel you. That's terrible. But he was a happy person. He was a person that held on to his joy through this. So hold on to your joy. Amen. Amen. And then number seven, he chose to forgive. We talked a little bit about this, but I want to read a scripture out of Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. It says, For if you forgive other people when, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Man, have you ever thought about that? That my forgiveness of others, my, my forgiveness, personal forgiveness, is based on me forgiving others? Isn't that what that just said? If I forgive the sins of others, then my sins will be forgiven. But if you do not forgive other sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Man, let me tell you, Joseph, when he had the opportunity, and he did, his brothers came, and now he's top dog in the land. He's second only to Pharaoh. And his, and his brothers come, he could have thrown them in prison and tossed away the key. And just said, you know, 
I may come down to visit you one of these years when I get over what you did to me. But he didn't. He didn't take vengeance for himself. And God said, listen, vengeance is not yours. Vengeance is mine. A friend, friend of mine, a good friend of mine called me out on this one time because I was complaining about something. Complaining about someone, actually. And I was talking about it and going on and going on. And, and I told him what, you know, I think this needs to happen. And he, and he turned and looked at me and he said, vengeance is mine, thus saith Phil. I just went, oh, dude. That was, that was below the belt, but I deserved that one. So, and I got it right, okay? <laughs> so, he chose to forgive. Number eight, he put God's plan ahead of his own. He put God's plan, think about this. Now he's out. I mean, Egypt, the Pharaoh has pardoned him. Why stay? But he put God's plan ahead of his own. And, and God gave him not only the interpretation to the dream, but the answer how to solve it. And so Pharaoh made him second only to him and gave him full permission to carry it out. And he did. He stayed and he finished the job. And then number 10, stand up with me this morning, would you? Oh, did I say, I didn't say nine? Sorry, nine. He believed the promise. Yeah, you can stand up with me. It's okay. I'm not gonna go long. Stand up with me here. <laughs> number nine he believed the promise for 13 years Joseph held on to that promise the dream that God had put in his heart God had given, this, given him this dream he held on to it 13 years later it came to pass his brothers came and bowed before him man and then number 10 he used the gifts God gave him to save the generation this is one thing to me is so interesting is that God blesses people with abilities, giftings, talents, you know, and it's, and they're amazing. Everybody is so gifted. That's why oftentimes I'm, I'm always asking people, hey, what do you, what are you passionate about? What are you talented at? What do you like to do? Because, you know, we, we want, we would like people to serve in the church in the area that they have a desire for, an area that they are passionate about, you know? And these types of things. And so, so, but it's interesting to me that God blesses somebody with talent and they don't use it for him. Sing in the church for a little while. Then they're offered a label, offered an opportunity to go out and sing for the world. You know, and Joseph didn't. Joseph used the giftings and the abilities, not for himself, but he, he helped the, the, the butler, or the cupbearer, I mean. The, the, the bakery probably didn't help very much, but he, but he used his gifting to, to interpret the dream. And then he used his administrative gifting to save generations, the generations to come. Phil, you don't understand what I'm facing. You don't understand how difficult it is. Well, let me encourage you in something. There was a scripture all through mom's situation that really helped me a lot. And that's the scripture I'm getting ready to read to you. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Listen to what it says. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you were able. We could read it this way. Who will not allow you to be tried and tested beyond 
what you're able to endure, to pass. But with that temptation will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, I use that as scripture a lot, you know, in thinking of, of temptation, you know, all types of different temptations. But God brought that scripture to my memory when we were believing God for, for mom. Because here we're in this situation and it's looking like she's going to die at any moment. And I said, God, you know, why is this test happening to us? Why? And you might be asking that same question like I was right now. You may be saying, why am I going through this? Why am I going through this trial, this test, this temptation in my life? And it, it may be that the answer is right here in the scripture like it was for me, that God will not allow you to be tempted, tested, tried beyond what you're able to bear. And you know, we were able to, to bear it. And as a result, mom is with us. And God was faithful. Let me tell you, that scripture changed my life. Because that means anything that is coming to you right now, a trial, a temptation, a test, is not something that's way out beyond your ability. The God in you is greater than the test, the trial, the temptation, but he has given you the ability to endure it. He won't allow something greater than who he is on the inside of you to come your way. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. Just search Vision Church. If you would like to help support this ministry, you can do so at visionnwa.com forward slash give.